Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guest today is Ashley Welch and we speak with her about naked sales, how design thinking reveals customer motives and drives revenue, which she co-authored with Justin Jones. And so one of the notions we talk about is this idea of really understanding your customer's customer. And there are many different customer sets, right? There's the individual, there's families, there's businesses, there's you know lots of different sets. And so the model that we offer people is to say, who's your customer? What are their big macro priorities in the world? Like, what are they trying to do? And then who are their customer sets? And so you sort of map it out. It's like an art project more than science. Like you draw it out and then think about which are the end customer sets that your customer cares most about. Ashley is also the co-founder of Somersault Innovation. Somersault Innovation is a sales transformation firm. They pioneered bringing the tools of design thinking to the go-to-market community to help people stay customer-obsessed in the sales process and grow revenue. The tools are practical and help sellers speak to their customers' business outcomes in a differentiated way and co-create. The results have been significant in terms of pipeline growth, deal velocity and new revenue. Their clients include Microsoft, Salesforce, ServiceNow, VMware, Salesloft and many others. Ashley loves hearing people's stories music that makes her pause and dream. She loves to play and travel to lands off the beaten path. She also loves to run every morning with her dog Timber. She believes she is definitely a work in progress and shows up every day ready to learn something new about herself and the world around her. And she totally loves her two girls. Now onto this insightful discussion on Naked Sales, how design thinking reveals customer motives and drives revenue with Ashley Welch. Ashley, welcome to Bits About Books. I'm so happy to have you in the show, and I'm and I'm really looking forward to talking about your book, which I uh, which I think is is a very important piece of work in the cacophony of Me Too books. Mm, right. Thank you. And and I have nothing against those, but I'm just saying that there's a lot of repetitive stuff going out there, and yeah. that's fine. But but I think I'm excited to talk to you because your your book stands out to me. Mm. Um, before we get into the discussion, tell us a bit about your work and what's keeping you busy these days. Yeah, oh, thanks for asking. Well, I'm the co-founder of Somersault Innovation with my business partner, Justin Jones. I'm talking to you from outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And we have owned the company for eight years. And we um, the work that we do in the world is really helping go-to-market teams, particularly in high-tech. 
uh, really stay customer centric and sort of this new word that's has a lot of resonance right now in the tech space in particular is this idea of consumption. How do we help tech teams really ensure that their customers are getting the value from their uh, software, from their technology and driving consumption and adoption? So for me, that all means customer centricity. And that's what we've been doing for the last eight years is working with teams, giving them skills from the world of design thinking, which is an innovation methodology we'll get into, um, but really helping them stay customer centric and grow their relationships. Amazing. And actually, before I move in, I, I have a question for you. And that is, you know, customer.com was written during the first dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. And it's 22 years. I know exactly where you're going. Yep. <laughs> Why are we still talking about customer yeah. centricity and not actually there already? Yeah, such a good question. I think about that a lot. Um, and why are we? Why is Somersault successful in teaching very simple tools around customer centricity and curiosity and empathy when these are very sort of basic human values and what we all know to be good and true? Um, I think. Uh, well, I think uh, for a number of reasons. I think Wall Street, you know, in the United States, I think uh, shareholders are looking for dollars. I think, uh, and that is forcing actually uh, behavior that is short-term focus versus long-term focus. So the sellers, therefore, are, are sort of very narrowly focused on closing. And then we have uh, sellers being paid quite well to close. So I'll hear this all the time. I'd rather close a $1 million, $5 million de- deal today, then wait several months and close the $100 million deal. And uh, it literally is happening all the time. This is ha- still happening. This is, we're, I'm headed to Vegas in two days to work with 1,300 sellers. And the whole thing on the table is we need to be more consumption focused. We need to, we're not, you know, we need to not just sell the software, we need to support it in the system. And yet, until just very recently, the sellers are still paid just to close the deal, not paid on whether their customer is actually consuming it. So as long as we continue to pay people and forced numbers to be looked at that are short-term focused, I don't think we are going to be more customer-centric. You know, it's the outliers who are going to drive that behavior. This is such a great, great uh, answer because, you know, last year I did a series of uh, interviews on the topic of how can we fix the less than 5% conversion problem in B2B sales, okay? Mm-hmm. And over and over, it came through that we are so focused on the quarter yeah, that there is zero long-term thinking. Yeah. And it, it's reflected in the very basic fact that the average tenure of a VP of sales or a CRO is 18 months. Yeah. Where yeah. will where will long-term yeah. thinking come from? Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, and I mean, I think you could get very philosophical or look at the neuroscience. It's the same thing with climate change, right? Like yeah. we're yeah. not long-term yeah. thinkers. We're short-term yeah. and it's still looking good to me outside. So yeah. why would I invest in the things that are gonna support me long term? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We need Absolutely. to change our metrics of success. I think. Yeah. I yes. Yes. And and that's that's topic for another discussion, which I'll I'll come back to you and, <laughs> and do that. I'm I'm sure we'll we'll have a good time. Um, coming back to naked sales, when did yeah. you think that this book has to be written? Mm. Well, we started the company in 2015, and um, 
it was just, it was only a couple years later. We had had, we've been working at Salesforce. We've been having a lot of success. And I think more than the success, I was like, there were these stories that were coming out, like the one that we'll talk about the Greyhound story in the very beginning that were just so phenomenal. And I, it was so exciting to see what was happening and to, to really engage with the reps who were driving this new mm. behavior in the system and reaping the results and the the relationship with the customers were getting stronger. So we wanted to tell these stories. I think we also wanted to plant our flag a bit and say like, hey, these tools really make a difference. And it's it's different, actually, what we're doing in the enablement space and the sales development space. Um, and and we were really pioneering this intersection between design thinking tools and, and sales. And so we wanted to you know stake our claim a bit and tell the stories. So it was a couple of years after, based on the success stories that we thought, let's let's write something about this. So uh, you, you started the consultancy eight years back and said two or three years down the line, you had enough stories or enough indication yeah. that it's working and you yeah. wanted to tell that story. So exactly. what happened then after that? So you say, okay, now we need to put it down. Yeah. What next? What came next? You mean in terms of writing the book or what yes. came next in writing the book? No. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, for me, you know, I have a background in sales, so I'm a seller too. And for mm. me, I thought the only books I really want to read are short. They had a little bit of funny and they're very useful and tell some great stories. So I wanted with that orientation, I thought we need to, we need to really connect with the people who have these stories and mm. get from their point of view on what was this, what had happened when they use these tools in their accounts and, um, what were the things that were most valuable? So we sort of went out to the people that we knew had been very successful and got them to sort of retell their stories to us and capture those. And then sort of think about like, well, where do we put this in a sequence such that it's really useful to the reader? Right. So so did you, did you sort of write a few, I mean, for the lack of a better word, few blog posts to, to start uh-huh. the structuring or, or, did you think, okay, this is how this is this is going to be a two-part book, and this is how it's going to pan out? Yeah. Well, um, one of the things I think we did that was really smart was we partnered with a group to help us write the book. Um, they don't actually exist anymore, um, or they've changed their name, but we were partnering with Book in a Box that became Scribe. And the reason I did this is because, or we did this is because I was like, there's no way we just started our company last couple of years. We're business owners. There's no way we're getting a book out anytime soon. If we're the only ones driving this, I'm not getting it mm. personally. I'm not getting up at 5am to write this book. So um, we partnered with them and they helped us really think about like, what was the structure mm. and then, and think about, you know, we have a model that's discovery insight and acceleration. And so we sort of built the book around that. Mm. And then, um, so we thought about the overall structure, what were the stories we wanted to tell, and then what were the tools in each. And that was really helpful having a partner help us think through that. Nice. So so this this model that you had, which which became the centerpiece for the book, uh, was it something you started off your consultancy with or was it something that evolved over a period of time? Yeah, it evolved. So we started the company because we had fallen in love with the methodology of design thinking, which is an innovation methodology all about customer centricity, which helps people or groups of people, right, go from a problem or opportunity to the solution, but in a very customer centric way versus um, me centric or I've got the best answer. No, let's look to our customer. So we wanted to be teachers of that methodology, but very soon after we started the company and we were just going to teach anybody. 
we realized that there was a lot of synergy between these tools and what the best sellers did. And so we had this idea, sort of notion of like, well, wait a second, what if we gave these tools just to sellers and we curated a, you know, the best high value tools for sellers. Um, And so that's what we did. And in doing that, again, I'm a seller. So I know uh, sellers, people in the sales space, let's just say, stereotypically are, are not interested in academics or not, not, I mean, in terms of for their sales motion, right? They don't need, we don't need anything that's too complicated. We want something that adds value to the way I engage with my customers and a story. So I wanted to, or we wanted to really simplify um, these tools and a model that would resonate for the sales space. And so that's where we sort of took what we knew about design thinking and simplified it into these three stages and then thought about within each stage, what are just the best tools that are going to make a difference for sellers? And so that's how it sort of evolved over time. And I would say it's still evolving. It's constantly evolving as the sales world evolves. We are evolving in terms of what we think is going to add the most value. So when you say tools, are these like actually tech tools or models? Yeah. Um, well, you, we, I'll tell you what one is. You can tell me if it's a tool or model. So it's not tech. It's all like uh, a framework, let's say. Uh-huh. So let's talk about discovery. So we know that discovery is one of the most important things that can happen in a sales cycle. And it's actually not a stage or a phase. It's mm. something that's constantly going, right? You should constantly be learning about your customer. And so one of the notions we talk about is this idea of really understanding your customer's customer. So if my customer is um, AT&T, who are their customers? And there are many different customer sets, right? There's mm. the individual, there's families, there's businesses, there's you know lots of different sets. And so the model that we offer people is to say, who's your customer? What are their big macro priorities in the world? Like, what are they trying to do? And then who are their customer sets? And so you sort of map it out. It's like an art project more than science. Like you draw it out, and then think about which are the end customer sets that your customer, in this case, AT&T, cares most about because somehow they connect to their macro priorities. So let's say AT, I'm making this up. AT&T is like really trying to get to the millennial population. So where I, as a seller, would do my research is on that millennial population. Because if I can find out something interesting about the millennials for AT&T, I start to add value, right? That's a mm. conversation they have with me which I want to do that first and foremost before I ever start talking about what I'm selling. I want to talk about what's interesting to them. So that's the framework, I would say, as one example. Yeah, I, I, I get it. So, 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 so those, are the, those are the kinds of tools that you're talking about. Exactly. Okay, okay, got it. And, and so, so coming back to the, this, this partner with whom you actually wrote the book, mm-hmm. uh, they, they sort of came back with a structure and then you supplied them with the, with the inputs and yes. then they possibly helped you sort of put the text and whatever. I mean, the, the writing part together and, and then you edited it or whatever. And exactly. that's how you. So you're talking about book in a box. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They would. They yeah. did a whole series of interviews with us. Ah. Um, and I think actually, you know, whether you partner, if you're interested in writing a book, anyone who's listening to this, whether you're partnering with someone to, to help you do this or on your own, Having someone interview us was really helpful. So we sort of designed the outline and then had someone about each piece of the outline and it was recorded. And that became the base for what we were drawing in order to write the text. 
Excellent. And then of course, multiple iterations of that. So, so once you have written the book, did you did you already find the publisher, or you? Uh, mm. How did that happen? No. So again, this is part of the reason why we partnered with them because they knew the whole process and they, mm. um, we published it. It was basically self-published. Okay. So, um, but they helped us get the cover. They helped us get right. it on Amazon. They helped us produce it. So now it's self-published. It's available on Amazon and it's, you know, um, printed right. as. Right, right. Okay. So let's, let's come to the, let's come to the book itself. So you have mm-hmm. divided it into two parts. One is sales redesigned and then selling by design, which I, I would believe is the is the core. Yeah. And uh, sales redesign is where you set the context of what you are trying yeah. to say, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so what are the changes that you are talking of here? I mean, I'm sure customer centricity fits in somewhere there, but yeah. what changes are you really drawing attention to when you yeah. when you speak about the sales changing rapidly? Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's not that interesting anymore in some ways because it's what we're all talking about. What's more interesting is why it hasn't happened. I think the question you posed in the beginning, but I think where we were, we started was this notion that the buyer has so much information now, right? There's no longer that they're looking just to you to provide the information and you are king or queen and can really direct the sales process. The buyer is now in that seat. And so the responsibility has shifted even more significantly to the seller to really add value in the conversation. And I think move to this space of co-creation with their customer. And especially in B2B tech sales, where it's so complex, right? It's so complex that you, my, you know, the customer and me, the seller, we need each other to figure this out. If I am selling, you know, some data transformation system uh, that's global, let's say, there is a lot of people involved who have to figure this out. We need each other. And so this move to a co-creative stance where I'm bringing to the table a lot of information and so are you, the customer, I think is is a different motion um, that has to be standardized in a way that really hadn't been in the hasn't been in the past and is still not really formalized in most places today. So I have two quick follow-up questions on this one. One is, is this approach best for, I mean, for the, again, for the lack of a better word, enterprise level sales, which are of certain size, or is it something which can be applied to any level of B2B sales? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can definitely be applied to any level B2B sales. And I say that because what one of the things we talk about is underpinning our process is deep curiosity and empathy for the customer. Um, and for others. And so that works anywhere. Doing great discovery, I don't care what you're selling or how big your uh, footprint is in a system, you should always be doing great discovery. Uh, I think it's, however, um, the complexity, the greater the complexity of the sale, I think demands more of these co-creative tools, these Hmm. customer-centric tools. Like we don't need to be in a long-term relationship if I'm just selling you some sort yeah. of one small product. Yeah, yeah. Let's bridge the gap in terms of understanding what is the link between design thinking and sales? I mean, how do you link these two apparently very different things? Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, design thinking is usually like a five-step process that goes from, I want to fix something or I want to innovate to, I understand what the solution is. 
And the first step of it is discovery. And what the discovery is about is about your end user. So I'll use a simple example. Let's say I was building another mug because I have a great idea for like this new, um, super uh, interesting type of mug. Instead of me going back, creating all the new mugs and then just coming out to the marketplace, I would put this thing down and I would say, let me just watch people drink. And I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to discover what they care about and when they drink and why they drink and what color mug they like to drink at all these things. And then it's from that, that I start to draw insights about potentially unmet needs Mm. um, and use that as my inspiration for innovation. And then along the way, I prototype something and I test something versus, you know, manufacturing 10,000 mugs. I'm going to come up with a little prototype and say, Hey, want to try this? Tell me what you think. And then I'm going to iterate from there. That's design thinking. And those terms are, you know, very well used now. Fail fast, iterate, prototype, right? Test it, experiment. It's very simple, obvious stuff, but we don't do it a lot. Mm. So all of that um, actually is quite relevant for sales. So doing deep discovery, really understanding your customer, unmet needs, and finding ways to really do that in a way that's beyond or differentiates you from the next seller. Um, co-creating with your customer or, um, you know, putting something forth and saying, what do you think? I want to get your fingerprints on this too. Iterating and saying, okay, well, here's a draft proposal or a draft plan. What do you think? Let's iterate together. All of those motions are very relevant to sales. So um, I'd say where design thinking and sales were sort of saying, well, they don't, where they're not intersecting is a seller or go-to-market team does not need to run an end-to-end design thinking process. All we're saying is that there are tools along the way in this process that are really helpful to sales. So let's look at which tools those are and use those. Sure. So so the the second question that I had, again, in in relation to this, is that if if your competitor also has a similar approach, Mm. how do you then differentiate? I mean, the customer is unlikely to spend co-creating with two or three vendors, even just mm-hmm. to assess the, I don't know, the fit, yeah. so to say, yeah. the value, right? Mm-hmm. So h- how does this pan out in a scenario like that? Because I'm imagining that if it is a high value product mm-hmm. or a high value transaction, not a product, mm-hmm. high value transaction, there will be multiple people who will be as invested as company X mm-hmm. who is following this process. I mean, <laughs> How does that, to your mind, pan out? Yeah. Well, I've never had that question because (laughs) I don't know if that situation, you'd hope that that situation was happening all the time. Hmm. I think more frequently it's that nobody's actually doing this more co-creative. I shouldn't say nobody. The the big tech firms, Microsoft, ServiceNow, Kindrel, IBM spinoffs, Salesforce, Hmm. they've all figured out that if they can lead these co-creative processes, design-led, they would say, at the, with their most top accounts, their highest, most strategic accounts, it will lead to much bigger deals. And most of the time, well, I don't know if often they're working with customers they already have, they're trying to go to the next iteration, right. mm-hmm. they run this process. I think you're right. I think a customer might say, I, I'm, I can't do this with two different organizations. You know, Microsoft and Google, we're not going to run these processes. So I think that would come down to in the beginning, like what's the relationship between the two organizations? What's the relationship between the team, the go-to-market or team or account executive 
and the people that they're working with, because you do need their permission to say, hey, yeah. want to engage with me and do this together. Right. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break. In discovery, how much do you invest? Like if it's very complex or if it's simple. And I would say, well, if it's very, you know, feeling like a simple, more transactional engagement, then you're going to do a little less discovery. Whereas if it's a really big multi-million dollar, multi-year engagement, you could do months in the discovery space. I mean, in the past, Microsoft would invest like over a million dollars to run these co-creative processes um, because they knew it would lead to a much bigger engagement, but it was weeks of time. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n Business Podcast Network Podcasts End to End Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. Right. Let's move on to the the core of the book, which is Selling by Design. And and let's uh, let's walk through each of those three primary areas that's discover insight and acceleration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so so walk us through this process. Yeah. So discovery we've talked about a bit, yeah. and I would say that we have a there's a strong emphasis in the book, and there's a strong emphasis on discovery when we're working with teams mm-hmm. because it's sort of I always think the sale is made or lost in the discovery phase. That is not only where you're getting great information, but it's where you're building the relationships. You're building the trust and the authentic connection, which then lays the foundation for the relationship moving forward. So uh, in discovery, in discovery, this is another thing that goes to a point you were talking about is like, how much do you invest? Like if it's very Mm. complex or if it's simple, and I would say, well, if it's very, you know, feeling like a simple, more transactional engagement, then you're going to do a little less discovery. Whereas if it's a really big multi-million dollar, multi-year engagement, you could do months in the discovery space. I mean, mm-hmm. in the past, Microsoft would invest like over a million dollars to run these co-creative processes um, mm-hmm. because they knew it would lead to um a much bigger engagement, but it was weeks of time. So, um, so in discovery, it's all about really understanding your customer, their unmet needs, what are their customers really interested in? And we, and using your best curious self and your most, most empathic self to do that. Then you move to insight. Insight is taking what you've learned from discovery and sort of using it to reframe back to the customer. Hey, this is what I've learned about you. And these are some of the things I'm starting to hear and see. And talk, we talk about your insight should be one about your customer, not about yourself. The insight is not, you need my services. The insight is something you've learned about them. And it should touch on people, meaning what do your people in the organization or your customers care about? It should touch on um, technology. Like what are the, what is the 
processes? What are the platforms you already have? And what have I learned about it? And then sort of business or outcomes, like what are the outcomes I understand? What are you trying to drive for? What is it clear to me that's not, it's getting in your way. And if you can sort of come up with an insight that touches all three of those, then you're really starting to one, have a lot of knowledge, but also build that trust with the customer and help them reframe or think bigger perhaps about the problem. And then you move into acceleration and that, um, you know, these are different phases because sort of how we learn and think, but I think of them as all sort of connected. Sure. Uh, acceleration is all about co-creation. So like, if we agree on the problem together now, then let's talk about the solution together and think about how we could co-create what uh, we want to do together in the world. And so they're all different techniques for doing that, whether it's whiteboarding or running an envisioning session with your customer, or just the simple idea of like, I'm going to give you a draft of something and I'd love you to come back to me and tell me what would make it even better versus uh, sort of very uh, transactional, like, here's my proposal, you know, yes or no. Like you sure. never want to get a yes or no. You always want to be in this iterative mode with your customer. So that's acceleration. Fantastic. So I have a question over here, which which is sort of related and sort of not. Mm -hmm. um, I can understand engaging in long discovery because that's possibly the best way to ensure that you'll be part of the end deal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the better you understand, the better yeah. you're able to offer solutions or 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 ideas or co-create. I mean that stage. One of the problems that I hear often is we are actually going to the customer or the customer who in the previous definition has already a lot of information available and a lot mm -hmm. of expertise available. I mean, let's not forget they run their business profitably yes. exactly. because they know their business. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's very presumptuous to say that I know more about your business so I can come yes. and teach you and all that. Exactly. Um, so one of the challenges I, I hear often is that how do you engage with the customer at the early, early stage of, of identification of the problem, which is really yeah. happening internally and no vendor is involved at that point, right? Yeah. And they're sort of going through, hey, can we, we, we see this problem? Can we solve this problem ourselves? What resources do we have? Can we manage it? Can our teams do it? And so on and so forth. Oh, no, we can't. Okay, now let's go and see whether there are solutions out there and so on. So yeah. the point is that this discovery process, I, I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. starts when they're sort of indicating to the market that I'm ready to engage. And like mm -hmm. you said, if I'm already a vendor, I'm an IBM already working with the customer and they come up with a new requirement, it's natural that if they have had a good experience with me, they'll come to me and start, hey, you know what, we have this issue and we are thinking and so on. Is there a way in this process you see that one can start engaging even earlier where yeah. there is an anticipatory engagement? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. So I think um, so discovery can happen either because we already have a relationship and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to grow the account and grow our relationship and yeah. solve more problems for you or because uh, I want to work with you. So, you know, you have to prospect. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. decide, OK, well, I, you seem like you would fit uh, what we do. I don't know, but seems like it. Let me do some research. So for me. When I'm doing my own research, you know, I might target an account and then say, all right, well, do I know anyone in the system? Obviously, you do all your, that kind of stuff. Is there anyone I can talk to? But then um, who are their customer sets? Like we, there was a customer we were looking at and thinking we'd like to work with them. They're, they're an IT organization. 
uh, or a technology organization, and they work with a lot of CIOs, right, as their mm. customer. And we knew that one of the things they were trying to change was this relationship in the C-suite beyond the CIO. So what we did is we went out and said, how can we get access to some CIOs who have actually a relationship with them or know them so that we can get some information because that's their customer's customer. And if we can get that information, well, then we could come back and say, hey, do you want to talk to me? Because I actually have some really interesting information about what CIOs are saying about Mm. your organization and others. So I think for sure, discovery can start before you have the relationship. Or even when you have just even someone saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you and you don't have any footprint, start doing your discovery then, start collecting information. Makes so much sense. Absolutely makes so much sense. So so let's wrap this up with your chapter on managing sales by design. So what, what are you what, what are we talking about there? Yeah. Well, I think this is actually goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning is like, why are we still talking about customer centricity, right? Shouldn't we have done this 20 years ago um, and gotten it right? So I think part of the reason we don't are some of the things we already talked about, money and Wall Street, et cetera, pressure from the shareholders. But um, the other thing is management. Like if your manager is still saying to you, hey, you told me you're getting 50,000 by the end of the week. I don't care where you get it. You got to get it. Um, That is going to force very bad behavior, a behavior, which is I'm just going to sell whatever I can sell. I don't even care if you need it or don't. I'm just going to try to sell you on something versus managers who understand this longer game. Uh, and would we always coach managers like instead of starting with the number of like, just get this number for me, tell me a story about your customers. Tell me what they care about. Like reorient what you're asking about is is the customer, what they value. And then, of course, you're not going to let go of the numbers. You're still going to be having that conversation. But this reorientation towards the customer, what they care about. And, you know, I'm very aware that when I say all this, it sounds very simple. And why isn't everybody doing this? And you know, sales is very complex and there are many different things that are happening. And of course, we need to have transactional sales or run rate business that are happening faster. And maybe you're not, you know, doing all the things that I'm talking about for every account. But if we can shift to doing uh, some of this with the more strategic enterprise accounts, things just get bigger and better, right? This is all about growth, but it's a new behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, And as you rightly said, I think a lot of responsibility of where we are lies with the leadership. Yeah. It's no point saying the BDRs and the AEs and, and they, they, they are messing it up. Yeah. Bits About Books is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high-quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create customized sales narratives using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 99021-631-32. Ashley, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I, I'm really so glad that we could discuss this. And if one thing people have to take away from this book, what would that be? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll make it simple. I think uh, just asking another 
level of why or tell me more when you're talking with your customer is so powerful. So often we sort of, I think about it, like just skating across the top of what we understand. Mm. And there are always three or four levels down to what anybody says about anything. So mm. say the, ask that question, that follow what we would call a follow-up question that says, oh, that's interesting. Can you tell me more about that? It's amazing what inf- the level of information or the degree of information you get, which is so much higher and the trust that's built along the way by doing that because you're demonstrating that you care. And it sounds super simple, but most of the time we don't. We just move on to our next question. And uh, Yeah, yeah, we're checking a box, right? Exactly. And I'm always saying like, we need to get beyond checklist discovery. Yeah, yeah. That was wonderful, Ashley. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really enjoyed Thank this you. chat. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, me too. I did. Thank you. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing, and business. We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast from and give us a rating while you are at it. This BizCast original podcast is produced for PitchLink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform, where the mission is to make buying easy. Hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.